And welcome to another episode of Mandatory Redistribution Party. Today's episode is about conspiracy theories. I think Jack wanted it to be about the monarchy, but uh, it's unavoidable that the juiciest treat when discussing the monarchy is that Queen Elizabeth II blinks sideways and has retractable claws. Sean takes a deep dive on the research surrounding conspiracy theories, the relationship between conspiracy thinking and the left, and what cultural shifts may help cleanse this phenomenon from our politics. Thank you. This is the end of the introduction section. The next voice you will hear will be part of the middle section. Goodbye. What's your favourite thing about Her Majesty the Queen? Wow. Um, I think as a high fantasy guy, grew up on a lot of like Tolkien and other... <laughs> yeah. So the idea of there being a monarch, it's the only thing I can have that connects reality with... Um, Middle Earth. Not Middle Earth, because actually I'm not a big Tolkien fan, but I do like... I grew up with a lot of high fantasy. Yeah. So it connects it to that world of elves and wizards and swords. And that and, and she's like the prism through which I can sort of a connection to her. Not real feudalism for you. Elven feudalism. Elven feudalism. Like it's not raise the drawbridge, there's another peasant's revolt. It's no the or- the orcs are coming. Yeah, there is danger from yeah. the orcs burst from Someone the has touched the amulet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Her full title blows my mind. Elizabeth II. By the grace of God of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland and of her other realms and territories, love realm, queen, head of the Commonwealth, defender of the faith. Wow. Orc wall. And I wonder what's the acronym of that? That'll take ages right to work out. Uh, it's Esguk Gubnert Kuktv. Right. Which if you play it... Uh, backwards activates the true monarch the <laughs> yeah. shadow monarch the uh the obsidian lord a deposed anti-king <laughs> i love um are you aware like you because you know there's all there's always been like factionless groups that believe that there's always like one true bloodline that's exactly what i was about to say <laughs> but do you know that the papacies had loads of those as well yeah the same true sort pope. of thing yeah, yeah but yeah. there was once so many anti-popes mm. and that's what they were referred to that was a nomenclature for them mm. that they put them all in one town and it was the town of the anti-popes and they Whoa. all lived there <laughs> yeah it was like a like a big brother house Whoa. a town seems like there's loads of them and they're all doing different things <laughs> yeah, there's the, the locksmith yeah there's like a T- timpson's pope and there's the uh the fishmonger pope. yeah you've got like quite low level anti-popes who are just shelf stackers yeah <laughs> stacking shelves now but yeah. soon i'll be the pope bt open reach pope <laughs> yeah uh coming to fix your uh router but with like a i can't remember the circumstances hat. which led people to be like we're gonna put you all over there hmm. 
But that's, that was the town of the antipopes. Great Wikipedia title. The town of the antipopes. I, in a similar angle to the, the your fantasy thing, yeah. I think it gives us a weird, as a country, a weird Disney vibe. Okay, yeah. Like a, like the, the, all this pageantry, like what beef eaters, beef eaters look like someone who could be stood between Goofy and Buzz Lightyear outside like Space Mountain in Disneyland. Yeah. And then the dudes with the big hats and the spiky gun, the gun with the spike on that stand yeah. outside the palace that everyone tries to like make react. And people love them. People, there's always, it always goes viral if one of them does anything remotely human rather than act like a clockwork automaton. Yeah. Well, like, I like the bizarre way they march as well. Yeah. And obviously I, I hesitate to admit, but I really do like the idea that perhaps the queen is a shape-shifting lizard. Mm. I'm, I'm real, real aware of the anti-Semitic tropes of the whole David Icke liz, lizard shape-shifter idea. Well, I, 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 but, I appreciate that the, the lizard thing has a lot of anti-Semitic things in the past, but one thing we need to explain to the people who accuse us of that is that <laughs> you do realise that Jewish people can't shift into lizards. <laughs> but when you say, oh, I don't like people who shift into lizards, you're like, that's anti-Semitic. It's just like, it's like a weird dual loyalty thing, isn't it? It's like, you're lo- like that's the Jewish trope of like the anti-Semitic trope. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, you look like you're loyal to us, but actually you're loyal to the lizard overlords. Yeah. But I like with it, you know, to, to take the anti-Semitism out of it, the queen's a fucking lizard. She yeah. blinks uh, like sideways. There's like a second layer of eyelid that blinks sideways. I don't want to get too much into David Icke. <laughs> but you know, people took like within the lizard, within lizard the lizard lore. world, like there are different lizards, right? They've got their own like internal like species-based caste system. What? Yeah, but that's one of the biggest clues that the lizard thing is entirely fantasy football race realism for people who've lost the plot. It's, <laughs> it's that the lizards, there isn't just this one race of lizards. Right. Within themselves. So when you look at people, it's a really skull, this is very skull-shaped stuff, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And this is just, I'm sure that the Raelian community is divided and they aren't a monolith and I don't want to talk down to oh, them in that way. Oh I don't God. know if they all subscribe to this, but there are yeah. at least some. That Reptoids. When I look at you, the way yeah. I'll know that you might be a lizard is that I'm looking for like ridges on the brow or yeah. the way that your skull will slope. But that doesn't mean that there's just one thing to check for. There's a number of lizards you could be that are determined by what I can maybe notice in how your skull is shaped. So presumably... And that the, will inform me of how, like, important you are to the invasion or what your role is. It's like, you know, the incels who, like, post their face on Reddit and there's, like, mm-hmm. a subreddit where they rate and explain what's wrong with them and they yeah. all just go, like, they go, like, oh, what, explain what's wrong with me and then they use, like, phrenology to be like, mate, your chin's fucked. You, yeah. You've got, like... I've been on that exact forum and the answer is always, if you washed your hair, you'd look okay. <laughs> <laughs> you genuinely would look fine. And just, then, <laughs> But is there another like subreddit that's like, what type of reptoid? <laughs> what alien am I? Yeah. People should be like, surely you could examine your own memories <laughs> of coming to Earth. No, yeah. Oh, I like that. Like the idea. Why of would someone... an alien have to ask the conspiracy no, no, theory no. community? Because they're worried. They're like, they've become, they've become aware that they're complicit in the Queen's reptoid conspiracy, like activities. Uh-huh. They're like, oh no, I'm too, they're like, I'm too much of a bootlicker. I've got too many fucking stamps. I love, I love the queen. Yeah. And then they go, well, the only reason they realize the only reason I would love the queen is because maybe I am perhaps a lizard. Right. And then they go, but maybe my brain's been like a men in black memory wipe. So they go on a subreddit and go, Hey, you guys seem to be experts about lizards. 
Am I reptilian? So I'm not as actually as familiar with the David Icke stuff because he obviously is coming from that main trunk of reptile alien stuff that mm. he then he subscribed to at some yeah, point. Yeah. And I think I've just gone into the fringes of the the, the one and only original conspiracy theory. Well, I think that it, it, but, but my question it's is they live, isn't it? John Carpenter's they live is the original reptilian shapeshifters. But you have to remove the anti-consumerism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's they live, but with their message gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just gone, oh, aliens? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but with David Icke, is the message that the Queen is a reptile intended to change your allegiances towards the Queen or just inform them? Is it the Queen is a reptile, therefore you should not want the Queen to be in oh charge? God, okay. or, or is it the Queen is a reptile, <sighs> so now we need to help the reptiles because that's how we help the Queen? No, no, no. Da- David Icke, there's a lot. The reptiles is... But, but tip of the iceberg. The tip of the iceberg. He, think, he thinks like Savile and fucking Ted Heath are reptiles. Uh-huh. So there's the reptiles... There's also like pedo rings that like sacrifice children for some reason, may possibly drink. Okay, so we've got like and, a lizard pizza. Okay, game. so there's that, the, yeah. yeah, that element is a real overlap there. Um, but also the moon is actually a machine that projects our reality. Uh, there's Hello? like, there's, there's. Lead with that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean projects our reality? Oh, I can't. Like a hologram or mind ray or. What does that mean? Listen, I'm not, I don't know. Like, I don't, what, what I'm telling you is like the grains I've remembered from yeah. my interactions. With, my, my, my big memory of David Icke is I think he did a debate at like Oxford Union. I was going to say, because right. there, I think it's on Netflix, him talking at like. Not just YouTube, Netflix. Oh, I think it, I think it might be, yeah. Okay. That it's on the back end of some streaming service. Right. Well, in that, he kind of puts forward his ideas, but like. It, the thing with Ike is what he'll do is he'll talk for se- like 70% of what he'll say, he'll talk about like neoliberalism or something yeah. and like the, you know, the threat of climate change and- And he'll gotcha and, right at the end. Yeah. And then, whoa, oh, lizards, whoa. Yeah. And then- um, You've actually been listening to us talk about lizards. lizards. And then you've actually, deeper layer, been listening to a talk that's quite anti-Semitic. <laughs> um, but he goes, he's in the Oxford Union and I think- there's a, a bust of Ted Heath and he says, he goes like, oh, Ted Heath is one of the first like reptoids I found because yeah. I was at some charity do with him and I made eye contact and I saw him, his eyes briefly turned like a snake's eyes and he blinked sideways. Wow. But he, he just says that like he saw it. Yeah. What do you do with that? Well, Dave, <laughs> what David Icke did was he wrote a series of books and he does like stadium tours to yeah. other people who were like, like, I imagine a chunk are like irony watchers, but I think very much like Flat Earth, the 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 irony watchers are increasingly outnumbered by people who are like, this is real. But I also think that an irony watching isn't a strictly static position. Yes. I am just the observer. I'm not involved. Yeah. This has no impact on me. <laughs> I merely watched a chucker with my friends. And a few years down the line, you're pointing a laser across the sea to be like, there's no curvature. <laughs> well, it's the whole thing of like Pepe the Frog is um, early on, it was used like as an ironic white supremacist symbol mm-hmm. and then becomes an actual symbol of yeah. white supremacy. So that, yeah, that can definitely happen. Oh, the relationship between irony as a testing grounds for views you may later actually adopt. Yeah. I just mean that that irony thing isn't quite as distant as people want to think. Back to my opinion on, on the Queen. I think the Queen serves the same role as Ed Sheeran. Right. 
because <laughs> there's a website that lets you see what's charting around the world for as long as there's been records. So it lets you see what's been musically popular globally. And the degree to which the UK's cultural exports are global exports. Hmm. Like a lot of the music that's like mainstream and popular, and yet a lot of the people in Britain might find like annoying. Hmm. Loads of those are actually intended to go out to other parts of Europe or other like ex-colonies that still have like a an overlay of British culture that gets pumped towards them. Oh, God. This is like a really niche side effect of imperialism. Yeah, like exactly. Ed Sheeran is pumped into your fucking ear hole. So I think Ed Sheeran isn't actually for... I mean, obviously, there are going to be loads of Ed Sheeran fans, but I think mm. the, the job of Ed Sheeran and the job of people like that is to go out and make British culture more palatable to people around the world. His, right. his role as a diplomatic envoy is on par with what the Queen's actual role is. The tourism economy stuff is sort of bullshit, mm. but the idea that she's like a diplomatic envoy, people are like, oh, the Queen's come, and they see the England as this sort of friendly parochial old woman as opposed to like um, a combine harvester that just tears through <laughs> peasants. <laughs> so... Um, Ed Sheeran, speech on Christmas Day, face on stamps, face on currency. Because their job is to transmit a certain image of the UK as sort of parochial cups of tea and... Disneyland. Have a sing-song. Joke. Yeah. Do you know she was like the Queen was like legit embroiled in the whole like Paradise Papers thing? So like the offshore dodgy investments. Oh, so her money, what? So there must have been some um, accountant... Hired by the Royal yeah. Treasury to funnel stuff through tax havens. Yeah, she had like over £5 million invested in this thing in the Cayman Islands, mm. which itself was invested in stuff like uh, Bright House, which right, is yeah. a buy-to-rent thing where you go like, oh, I need a fridge, uh, but I can't afford a fridge. Yeah. So I'll, no, rent to buy, I mean. So you'll, you'll, you get the fridge and you pay like a couple of quid. Yeah. But you end up actually paying. So the fridge is worth 500 quid. And over three years, you've actually ended up paying thousands and thousands for it. Yeah. And then that the profits from that straight to Her Majesty. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but I mean, like, it's like with all these things. I, I very much think that the person who owns the account doesn't go, launch, fire that towards Panama. And that's the plan. Yeah, it's just yeah, a go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's capitalism. It's yeah. not like the queen individually. Like, I'm not saying, oh, I'd really like her if she only invested in co-ops but yeah, obviously she doesn't she choose she what she does choose to do is invest in fucking cayman islands that's still a choice bringing things back to the the papacy which is yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the catholics queen their accountancy um put loads of money into birth control right. so they they had a similar thing where whoever's dealing with the treasury hmm. it's like you know this whole thing money has to move you can't just stick it in a massive jewel encrusted vault anymore <laughs> And one big thing was that they invested it in birth control because they knew that, like, the stock market, this was, like, years and years ago when, like, birth control was obviously trending to become more and more yeah. normal and popular and therefore more profitable. All right. So the Catholic Church is in this bizarre position where they're like, don't use this. Also, we funded it to be available around the globe. Wow. Yeah. Sneaky sneaksters. Sneaky. I'm much like, so the monarch got loads of it. So that was one of the Henry VIII's moves of why he like, sacked off Catholicism so he could just like grab all the land because mm -hmm. obviously land's a source of immense wealth. And I think the Queen is technically still the biggest landowner in the world. 
Right. Because, you know, she technically owns like all of, like even if you own your house freehold, the queen still owns it. Yeah. It's like an agreement with the queen you have. Or like she owns like Australia. Yeah. But uh, that's like a kind of bullshit way from looking at it. But in like an in actual- a strange archaic- like, Yeah, in a strange what, archaic way. But also used. in a yeah. real way, she's like the biggest landowner in the country. And she owns yeah. like shitloads of land that has, and, and you're like probably thinking, oh, like a grouse hunting field. I'm like, no, like shopping centers. <laughs> Right. And she gets the rent. Well, I think the government gets the rent off it. And then she gets like a percentage Yeah, for, for just being a landowner. Yeah. So you think like, oh, well, we're not feudal anymore. We're not, we don't just like work in the fields and give some of our grain to the Lord who like gives that, some of that in turn to the King. It's like, oh no, we are. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the arguments that go around the existence of the Queen, I think the tourism one is bullshit, but it's the only one that people proffer a lot of the time because people don't want to engage with this idea of global propaganda that is mm. the royal family. Yeah. It's to make, it's to go off in lieu of a politician. She's a great diplomat to have because she's not really entitled to talk about any politics. Mm. So she's the safest person just to send off to a country. Yeah. She's like, oh, the Queen's here. She's just a void you can project anything onto, which is mm. why people are like, oh, the Queen's going to, she's going to stop Brexit or she's secretly dunking on Trump yeah. with this. The Queen's like- furious about this. No, the Queen is <laughs> nothing. You can't possibly say a single true fact about the Queen. You've only seen her face, mm. which she has been taught since a child to keep entirely neutral. <laughs> but then also she has been directly involved in, I mean, firstly, the tourism thing is straight bullshit because like France has triple the tourism in the UK. Mm-hmm. They, you know what happened to their monarchy. Yeah. Um, but the uh, she does she has like interfered in politics. You know she's the one that appoints the prime minister. So back in the fifties and sixties, when the Tory party didn't elect their leader, yeah, like Harold Macmillan appointed by after the after Eden appointed by the Queen. Right. Like the Conservative party didn't like choose him. The Queen was like, oh yeah, Macmillan. But he looks good. And then uh, Douglas Home, Douglas Hume, I think it's pronounced because he's like. So why did that practice stop? Was there a re- reaction to that? Um, not particularly. Just I think the Tories started electing. I think themselves. like yeah, I think they're probably the Tories did think oh we should probably pick our leader. So uh, there's the there's onwards. constitutional um, precedent hmm. that if for some reason there was a deadlock internally in the Conservative Party, the Queen might be like tiebreaker here. Yeah, yeah. Or um, well, a lot of the Tories didn't want Douglas Hume to be, and then. In 74, when Wilson, the Labour, Labour Party uh, guy responsible for the whole Diego Garcia thing that we did in another, another episode, yeah. um, he, uh, I think he was appointed by the Queen because he didn't quite get a majority. Like Heath got the, major- got the most seats, but not a majority. Yeah. And maybe like, Wilson got it. But then there's some conspiracy theories about like the Queen being involved. It didn't happen, but there was like a proposed like, plot to remove Harold Wilson, right? Could like remove a socialist government. Okay, so there are these, but like, no, his, I agree. There with are you. historical, yeah, yeah, blips where the Queen has done stuff, but generally she's but, just a void. I agree, and that's yeah, yeah. why I think she's subject to so many conspiracy theories. Mm. The fact that, well, well, on one hand, there's the fact that she is sort of nothing, and you can project onto her. I mean, and there I, is she's a, nothing, but at the same time, there's no way this woman's a fucking socialist. Yeah, well, how could she be? But <laughs> yeah. I'm saying that the, the two thing, the two factors that mean you can project a lot of conspiracy theories onto the Queen is that one is that she is a blank tabula rasa onto which you can project yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And two is we already know she killed Princess Diana. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, yeah, there already yeah, yeah. is. Diana's in one of the, um, a bit. part of the Diana thing is the one true monarch line because she's a steward. Mm-hmm. You know, who were the, yeah. you know, so the deposed monarchs from uh, James II or whatever, or the Glorious Revolution, 1688. He, uh, 
there's an idea like, oh, Stuart, you know, one of the reasons they had to get rid of her is because the Stuart line, she's Stuart, the Stuart line, the return of the right. the true monarch, um, which is like deep fucking law. I love this true monarch stuff. When like the, and when I say we're in the 21st century, I don't mean like that we should all snap out of it. I mean no, there are no. so many plausible. How far back do you want to go? There's like millions of people <laughs> who are plausibly the heir to the throne now. Yeah. When you end up on the left to a certain degree. Hmm you have to reject a lot of what you have been informed of and primed about growing up. So there is a degree to which your brain gets unlocked to all kinds of mad stuff. That's mm. why the left ends up with so many fringe groups that have completely lost it. Like um, AOC in America mm, had mm. that person in the audience saying, oh, we should eat babies yeah, in response yeah, to climate yeah, yeah. change. Well, the group that she was a part of, like the LaRocheans or however you call mm. them, they're part of an old Marxist chapter. <laughs> they started off as Marxists yeah, yeah, in the yeah. 70s and then got to the point where they're like... Same with a lot of the neocons. Mm. You know, neocon appearance, a lot of them and spiked like online was living yeah, Marxism. Yeah, 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 yeah. What is it about... Like, because like a lot of the people accuse like... Marxism being all postmodern and neo-Marxist, but actually it's a modernist theory. It's quite mm. static. This it's not in open for that much interpretation. And yet so many people come from that quite static thing of like, here's an understanding of how economic policy and our relationship with capital affects the lives of workers. Mm. Really straightforward, not much interpretation. <laughs> Give me 20 years and I'll have gone mad. <laughs> <laughs> I will really believe that everything is a literal Zionist dragon. Fucking hell. And I, I'm attributing it probably in this, there's going to be loads more factors, mm. but I'm attributing it broadly to the fact that you have to live on the fringes of what is considered true means that you are not going to behave with the same skepticism that other people do when people are like, here's another strange fringe theory. Yeah. Did you know they did like some research on the people who believe conspiracy theories? And the idea is if you believe one conspiracy theory, you're obviously going to be more likely to believe more conspiracy theories, yeah. which means it is a statistical truth that if you believe that Princess Diana was killed by the Queen, mm. you are statistically also more likely to believe that she's still alive. Nice. <laughs> and there are people that, that are respondents who, as long as you don't bring up those two facts next to each other, mm. where the obvious contradiction of them will twig in their mind, they're like, oh, I don't mean that, obviously. Mm. They will say in different conversations on the same day, Oh, yeah, Queen bumped off Princess Diana, yeah, killed by the Queen. And later on, be like, yeah, you know, she's still alive. She's still, yeah. Living Fucking in uh, Norwich. <laughs> Jesus. Conspiracy thinking. I'm conflicted about it. Because it comes from partly a good place of questioning mm. bullshit establishment lines that are put out. So that's, that's it can come. There's a bit of, ha there's a bit of healthy skepticism there, which yeah. I'm into. But then there's just like bizarre law building that's in your head. But the problem with conspiracy theories is, and conspiratorial thinking, is that it attributes bad things in the world to sh shady individuals, yeah. right? Uh, or shady group of individuals or oligarchs or whatever, the powerful, the elites. And that is a bad way of thinking about things because it prevents you from thinking about things as systemic, which is where most of the worst shit that goes, like climate change, yes. People at fucking ExxonMobil and Shell have 100% paid money to climate scientists to peddle the art, you know, for for decades to deny to deny climate science, right? To challenge climate science, but isn't by saying so, that like before that was known, 
if you were to say that, that is a systemic thing. Corporations straddle the line between a conspiracy theory about seemingly an individual yep. and a conspiracy theory about a structure yeah. because corporations are so large, yeah. they are both an individual unit but also part of the structure of society. Yes. So before those documents are released which show that ExxonMobil paid um, about climate science. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is a conspiracy theory. Yes, but it's not because the people who are in charge of Sharnax and Mobile are bad people. It's because they operate in an existing capitalism geared towards perpetual growth and, and the perpetual pursuit of profit. And that is what explains those decisions, not but, the decisions but, of, oh, if we got... If we if we got rid if we overthrew the elites and had like a good person in charge of Shell, that would not solve the problem. That's I, my point. I, I think that's baby out with the bathwater a little right. bit because conspiracy theory doesn't have to say, "Oh, they're bad eggs," and if we overthrow conspiracy theories, often just mm. purport a theory. They purport someone's doing this weird thing, but it's a secret. But I know the truth because no, I, I, I think, think it's normally. But like, do you think nine eleven is an inside job? Is just. You, you wouldn't attribute, like, the people who think that don't think that the people who orchestrated 9-11 have, like, an evil agenda. Well, obviously they do, but that's also true of the Exxon. Yes, but you just thing. said, it, you just contradicted yourself. You said that they don't, they aren't evil. That conspiracy theorists are just people who are doing things secretly and they could be good or bad. I'm going back to what you said originally, yeah. which was you were, I would say, strawmanning a lot of conspiracy theory, which mm. is to say that they believe if we depose these individual institutions, then we have solved the problem. Where I'd say there are a lot of conspiracy... Like, if we're saying conspiracy theory is this broad platform where you believe someone has conspired, mm -hmm. so there's mm -hmm. going to be a lot of truth in there. Yeah, yeah, totally. people are conspiring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would say that a lot of conspiracy theories are just a matter-of-fact explanation of what the truth of what was conspired about. Yeah, Not yeah. many actually go one step further to suggest what ought to be done about it. That often falls outside the scope of a conspiracy it's implicit, theory. It's implicit in what they're saying. It's implicit in what they're saying. Like... The, the conspiracy theorists that I've got in deep to conversation with have a, they, I'm, I'm just talking anecdotally about my personal experience, mm -hmm. have almost always been like, oh, we've got to get rid of the Zionists. Yeah. We've got to get rid of the Jews that are controlling everything. Israel's like the puppet master. They're the, they're the shadowy figure in the background controlling everything. Yeah. And I think conspiracy theory, conspiratorial thinking, rather than a dialectic analysis of, of systems in which people who are dicks are rewarded and make are geared towards making bad decisions. I think that's, that's a problematic set of thoughts. But the way I'm conflicted with it is, is I agree with you that like also loads of conspiracy theories turn out to be fucking true. You know, God well, for Tonkin, whatever. Right? My own anecdote that informs why yeah. I'm pushing this line is yeah. I remember a, a mutual enemy of both of ours oh, right. okay. called me up in conversation where yeah. I think, Talking about something about some country somewhere in the Middle East getting destabilized mm. due to a very strange set of circumstances in their politics where mm. some people disappeared and then there was a new leader. Mm. And I was saying, well, I'm sure in a few years we are going to find out that was the CIA and it wasn't mm -hmm. just this mm -hmm. internal thing because I know, like, well, that's a conspiracy theory. And I'm like, yes, for now. <laughs> it's a conspiracy theory. Now, in six years, it will be a shared understanding. Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. So you're like, and an I wasn't saying, you're, but what yeah. you're, you're quite, what we could say, what you're being accused of of having a conspiracy theory there is the notion that the CIA, the uh, secret service, the international kind of uh, spy network of the most yeah. impo powerful imperial power on the planet, uh, the, 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 you know, the superpower of capital, 
mm-hmm. that they're going to try and serve their own ends by destabilizing certain places. So in line you're, with a you're, pattern that is well documented across it's decades, it's hugely historically well documented. Yeah. And your your conspiracy, what is being called a conspiracy theory, comes out of a systematic analysis of imperialism and capital, right? And yet, they are correct that is a conspiracy yes, theory. Yes, I agree. Currently. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Yeah. Well, this this is why. So I'm conflicted about it. Because on the one side, I'm really wary of conspiratorial thinking. Because, I mean, partly because years ago, I did my dissertation on the war on terror. Mm-hmm. And then it just, that that brief, you know, period of when you're doing your dissertation and people's conversational topic, instead of the, for what most of your life is, oh, what do you do? The generic conversation would be, oh, what are you doing your dissertation on? Yeah. And I'd have to, eventually i would just lie yeah. uh but uh, you know when you say oh i'm doing it on the war on terror then they'd be like oh yeah do you think do you think that bush did it or whatever <laughs> so what i had to do i had to uh really get into going like well you know it doesn't have to melt steel beams because that means liquefy it just has to be able to bend them to make them straight you know all that kind it of it was so strange I that ha- that was their tagline you don't need to melt a thing to the ground <sighs> before it can fall over you yeah. don't need to melt a building <laughs> yeah, well i had to it was weird because i was doing my dissertation but also i was like fucking hell i've really got to be able to uh like get because it yeah i kept getting in positions where i'm like oh like I, this person's clearly saying bananas stuff yeah. but i don't I'm not equipped with the exact, you know, they've gone, you know, when you get in conversation with someone about the EU and they, they know a weird load of shit about like fisheries law yeah. and you're like, oh man, I, yeah, sorry, mate. I don't, I don't want yeah. to talk about this and I don't know anything about it. But so it was that. Yes, so, the Bush family did um, 9-11 if you're willing to accept a less direct understanding of causation. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. So I'm I'm really wary of conspiratorial thinking because of its links to anti-Semitic tropes, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But also, I think if you're in a position where you are questioning stuff and you've got this idea of like, actually, some of these people have not got our best interests in heart, at heart yeah. <laughs> and are perhaps acting against uh, ordinary people, then that is a pretty good starting point for, you know, moving left. So yeah. I'll take that over, you know, it's a... It's a it's a gateway thing for people who can be... I mean, I guess all the best conspiracy theories, like the one I talked about, about the CIA, there's a lot of things where you'd be like, even though I can't prove this right now, I'd imagine someone's working in alongside their class interests, mm-hmm. alongside the things they've done historically, yeah, yeah. but that I cannot find documentation they've done it on this incident. My point is that we are offered an alternative theory to the quote-unquote conspiracy theories, which is that there is a capitalist class that has mm. been in charge for generations upon generations, Mm. well-documented serving their class interests and colluding against the poor. Mm. And that sometime within our lifetime, without any social upheaval, without any major struggle to stop them doing that, they've just stopped doing it. (laughs) And I should believe that now. And even though when you look back 10 years, we've all found out that they were doing it 10 years ago, sometime between then and now, they've stopped. And I shouldn't accuse them of continuing to collude to work against the poor yeah. in their own class interests. Yeah, absolutely. The things that you maybe wouldn't traditionally refer to as conspiracy theories because they're just not complicated and they're obviously true. It's just, oh, this person will act in line with their own interests and they won't necessarily say that's what they're doing in an interview. Yeah. So the queen isn't uh, a lizard. Mm-hmm. 
she'll just act in her own class interest. And she doesn't need to be a lizard to make that theory understandable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this lizard thing is actually making it a lot more complicated and possibly a little harder for the public to digest. <laughs> <laughs> In my lifetime, I've believed in ghosts, aliens, market forces, Catholicism, astrology, and that my Pokemon card collection will appreciate in value if I leave it long enough. And the more I become politically engaged, the more my beliefs pick up a moral and social component, and it becomes very important that my beliefs are true, justifiable, and coherent. If I'm believing in ghosts, that's one thing. Who am I hurting? Who's gonna get damaged by one of my spooky tales? But if I believe that Italians are the responsible for the 52 bus service always being delayed, I could actually start stirring up some xenophobia along a linear path of residential communities leading into the city centre. I think the left, the vague blob that it is, doesn't necessarily have a problem with conspiracy theories more than anyone else. A significant chunk of the right is just conspiracy theory. A lot of conservative thought is strictly reactionary and you only need to step out of party political right-wing thought to find people who are just railing against this ever-changing shadowy elite, be it globalists, the EU, or Theresa May was a secret communist and all this is part of a plot to start mass immigration on a level that will cripple whiteness for reasons that are unclear. I'd love Theresa May to be a secret communist who's trying to destroy the concept of whiteness. Yas Queen, we stand. But I can't find a shred of evidence to believe that or find any reason why I might over on this side of the fence. What I will say is that conspiracy thinking comes with being on the fringes of intellectual thought uh, for two reasons. One is that you're sort of swept to the sides of mainstream discourse and end up ambling around on these smaller, in quotes, less legitimate platforms. And when you're relegated to the sewers underneath the city, you'll naturally end up rubbing shoulders with the discarded children who roam the pipes. UFO guys, Sandy Hook truthers, a woman doing Reiki healing on her horse. Who does exist? I, I got a gig one time, um, and I was I was looking through the Booker's profile pictures. I saw that she did and advertises Reiki healing for horses, so I immediately pulled out of the gig. Which is a shame, actually, because I do really like Hebden Bridge. The other reason is that I think there are emotional and epistemological elements to being intellectually marginalised. Epistemology, just to keep everyone up to speed, is the philosophy of knowledge, which I'm evoking here to talk about how people acquire knowledge. So if you're on the left and you're aware of the manufacture of consent, as you would be if you'd listened to episode 14, you will and should be highly sceptical of mass media, which is a common feature to a lot of people with actually quite fringe beliefs. Now you've got to find some way of finding out what's going on that isn't going to be mass media, and that places you in something of a vulnerable position. Or to get a bit less abstract for a second, there's lots of vaguely left news sources that actually write a lot of junk, but I think people cling to it because they need something that is going to inform them about what's going on that is decisively not a Conservative Party mouthpiece. And there's also the emotional element. People want friends and they want their friends to share common values with them and, you know, they, they know they'll struggle to be friends with Lib Dems or Conservatives because they're complicit in systemic violence, or to use a shorter word, are murderers. And if you need that social connection, that leaves you vulnerable. And if you're vulnerable, 
maybe your defences against groups and sources and people that might actually be a bit dodgy will be lowered and maybe that will lead you down a rabbit hole. Side note, I don't think conspiracy theories are unique to just marginalised political discourse. Um, Ideas like the Queen wearing a green hat means that she's going to deport Boris Johnson or people who think the only explanation for Donald Trump or Brexit is because Putin clicked the button he's got custom built into his laptop that says, fool him, that Mark Zuckerberg installed. These are conspiracy theories even though they appear in major publications and they're catnip for centrists. I think I share Jack's concern about conspiratorial thinking. When people find themselves disaffected and sceptical, and they're looking for alternative explanations, that's when people might end up finding themselves on the left. But also, for reasons I've stated above, that vulnerable position, it's also when people might find themselves in one of a number of other fringe groups. You know, these are the same people that Scientologists prey on, for instance, or, you know, New Age healing groups, cults, French clowning workshops, you could end up anywhere. It's like a game of Hungry Hungry Hippos, where there's a regular stream of disaffected people fucked up by the ravages of society, and it's your job to enclose them in your particular plastic hippos articulated maw, swell your ranks, and win a prize. So it turns out the literature surrounding conspiracy theories is still fairly conflicted about why they happen, what's actually happening, and what can or should be done about it. The person whose research I'm going to focus on is the work of Kasim Kassan and a little bit from a guy called Cass Sunstein who I got the Princess Diana stuff that I mentioned earlier in the episode from. And then that's going to be glued together with a lot of my own thoughts about trying to make this applicable to the left. Both Kassam and Sunstein are united on a few things. Conspiracy theories aren't born from a lack of knowledge and they're not the result of an individual being crazy and they're not necessarily even bad or incorrect to believe. Uh, they use the example of Watergate Not only was that true, but there is some evidence to suggest that people given to conspiracy thinking were better at detecting it. Conspiracy theories are any beliefs that pertain to significant events and people who did them that have concealed their actions. And in that, there seems to be not a lot of distinction between a conspiracy theory and a lot of garden variety political beliefs. I mean, it sounds a lot like this definition of a conspiracy theory might cover the whole of the left. I mean, it might depend on your own personal interpretation whether you think there's a conspiracy going on. It's definitely true that scattered amongst the halls of power, there are people who've drunk their own Kool-Aid and genuinely believe that what they're doing is actually for the best. But amongst them, there are also a lot of absolute bastards who know perfectly well that their life's work is about creating a series of stitch-ups that best represent their own interests at the expense of everyone else. Just a couple of recent examples include... Boris Johnson's continual insistence that Brexit's going to make the country stronger. And yet there are accusations from Philip Hammond, the ex-Chancellor, and his own sister, Rachel Johnson, saying that they know as a fact he's working for the benefit of big backers who are engaging in financial speculation that stand to be hugely profitable if the pound's going to fall. In 2016, Donald Trump called climate change a hoax, but then in that same year he applied for a protective wall around his low-lying golf courses, that were at risk from rising sea levels. It's hard to interpret things like that in any other way other than we have national leaders who are willing to collude against the public. So are we not all conspiracy theorists by this definition? The other key feature of conspiracy theories is that the people who believe them, they really dig their heels in. They're not gonna shift their beliefs for anything and you can present them with contradictory evidence and they're not gonna budge. And that's 
even more of a tough one for me because I remember drifting further left during a period of feeling pretty fucked and disaffected and but doing so wasn't pleasant. I didn't feel like I was returning to some kind of ancestral home. I didn't want it to be true. I didn't want it to be true that there's international machinery designed to make me feel stuck and, and poor and trapped and sad and held up the forces of oppression and made change and improvements for the marginalised or the planet difficult to impossible. You know, I wasn't enjoying that that was true. You've got to chug a million bitter pills when you drift leftwards. And the amount of people who disagree with me to the point that I just sort of keep quiet and... You know, I'm not going to be going on the bloody contradictions in capitalism when I'm trying to enjoy like a work party. And yet, despite not necessarily enjoying having this belief system, I don't know what you could tell me or show me that would make me renounce it all. What information or evidence could I be given? And I would go, oh yeah, wow, okay, Whoa, game changer. Sorry, I fucked up. Shut down the pod. One episode left and it'll be a five minute apology pod. I just can't conceptualize what that would be because I've subscribed to this huge holistic theory about how money and capital works. It's so overarching and complicated. I don't know how much you would need to tell me or instruct me in a whole other way of thinking to make me renounce this. I just, I just can't see it happening. And that's what makes me feel uncomfortable. Because it's that tendency, that digging your heels in groupthink kind of tendency that that's why I associate with the weird, bad conspiracy elements on the left. The capitalism is the personal plaything of the Rothschilds as part of this global Zionist conspiracy or the, the very tribalistic, vulnerable groupthink exploitation tendencies that have had some leftist political movements behave more like a cult, see the Socialist Workers' Party. And these things are grim as fuck and should be a real cause of concern. And it's not that we've not been primed to think critically. It's more than that. It's that we have been primed to not think critically. Was that clear? It looked good written down. What I'm saying is I think there's a tendency for people who have found themselves mistrusting their organisation or their news source is to replace this bad organisation or news source with a good organisation or news source. And then they just subscribe to whatever's being given to them by that. Or to crib the work of Michel Foucault, we've been primed to be obsequious and uncritical from childhood. School primes us to receive instruction and information without inquiry or scepticism. I mean, I don't know if you ever as a child ever said back to a teacher, an adult or a parent, oh, I don't think that's necessarily a good idea. Can we do this different idea instead and see how far that got you? You tend to just be put right back in your place. Foucault says that we are taught those levels of obsequiousness because that prepares us for what we want the workforce to be like. We don't want people talking back and saying, I don't think that's a good idea. No, you clock in and you, you clock out. That's how you behave to your boss, the state, the law, and that's how you're primed to behave uh, in school, in childhood. And then we hit adulthood and we have this whole political component to our lives where we're expected to have these well-considered, critical, political opinions that are nuanced and thought out no one's taught us how to do that. How are people going to learn that in their spare time? That's hard. And our media and our society don't really treat people like they expect them to have critical thinking skills. And they just tell you stuff. An advert just tells you stuff. The news just tells you stuff. No one's trying to convince you of stuff or presumes any level of scepticism on your part. There's no one there on the news going, listen, you got to believe me. This is what happened today. I swear I'm a mom's life. It's just presumed you'll accept it. And that's how you find yourself in the hungry, hungry hippos phenomenon. 
Disaffected but polite individuals just come sliding onto the game board, eager to attach themselves to a new teat. Teach me who to be, teach me what to think. Ready and eager for one of the Earth's heaviest mammals to scoop them up and take them home. And just to make this crystal clear, I'm not saying that the solution to this is that people are supposed to come home after work and read seven versions of the name news story and then triangulate that to find the real, absolute truth. That's insane. No one's got time to do that. And it's not that people are information poor. You don't need more information. It's about what our basic learnt strategies are for how to relate to incoming information. Kasim Kassam says the proliferation of conspiracy theories comes down to something called intellectual vices and intellectual virtues. To simplify it a lot, you can see that these are intellectual strategies, some of which are good and some of which are bad. Open-mindedness is an intellectual virtue, prejudice is an intellectual vice, and so on and so on. You use these to chart the individual elements at play with how someone might relate to information they're receiving, or someone telling them something they don't agree with, or how someone is relating to information outside of them when they're trying to process it. At first I wasn't mega keen on this diagnosis, even though it's probably one of the better ones going, because it really just puts things at the feet of the individual. Nothing about the social elements at play with belief creation. Actually, maybe that's not so bad, since ultimately we're talking about beliefs, and only individuals can hold beliefs. So it's a reasonable place to, to be looking to put the diagnostic scope to that of the individual. And from that, potentially, we could reverse engineer what kind of environments or what kind of social norms are conducive to certain intellectual virtues and certain intellectual vices. Now, this is just speculation on my part. And there's nothing I can do to read or discover anything more on this because the vast majority of the research and reading for this section has been from the last five years or so. So me trying to apply it to this particular problem within the left just doesn't exist for me to read. So I'm just gonna talk off the top of my head. Now, reading about intellectual virtues, the thing that caught my eye was the virtue of intellectual humility. And that's the ability to be honest with yourself and others about exactly how much you do or don't know or understand. And I can't help but think that this is a quality in such short supply that its widespread adoption would be absolutely transformative. I make this podcast, I write for a magazine, I go on stage and I talk about stuff as a comedian, and the more I climb the ladders of these industries, or any industry, the more I feel like I'm ushered into a lifelong game of don't let anyone know that you don't know what's going on. Just like every news source just tells you the facts with certainty, so too are we as human beings expected to behave. Blink first and express your own ignorance or uncertainty and you're out, you're out of the game. On the podcast, we've previously talked about the idea of news being transparent rather than unbiased. But I think intellectual humility takes things one step further. Intellectual humility, when you're not only transparent about why you believe what you believe, but you also are open to expressing the borders of your understanding. That injects the humanity back into communicating ideas. It's how you remove all the authoritative, hierarchical bullshit from just sharing what we know. And I feel like it would sweep out a lot of the conspiratorial bullshit from the political sphere if that and not intellectual grandstanding became the norm. Now, I don't know how to achieve it or even what its widespread adoption would would do, really. I don't know what an intellectually humble news broadcast would look like, or a comedy routine, or an episode of a podcast. I don't necessarily know any of those things, but that's okay. At the very least, by me admitting that, I'm getting somewhere.
see the thing that they, the person who doesn't understand, will understand in time. Or fun repeated listening. Or it's a thing that he never will Mandatory Redistribution Party was created and produced by Sean Morley and Jack Evans. Our title theme was created by Ella Jean, with additional music contributed by Kawi, whose name I can only hope I'm pronouncing correctly. He's been listening to the podcast and said we could use some of his music. Thank you. And I'll put a link to their SoundCloud in the description below. And we've got some live shows coming up still. On the 29th of November, we'll be at the Pier Hat in Manchester. as part of the Manchester Podcast Festival. And on the 2nd of December, we'll be at Leeds at Lolshevism Comedy Club at Hyde Park Book Club. Please come, or just review us on iTunes. I've got to go, then. It's a long outro. Don't, I can't be, longer than the, can't be longer than the theme. I've got to go. Goodbye. Thank, thank, thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>